If you have your Bible, please turn in it today to Romans chapter 13. We've been going through the book of Romans and we've come all the way to the end of chapter 13. If you don't have a Bible with you, then please pick up one of the black Bibles on the end of the pew. It should be on page 948 in that Bible. And if you don't have a Bible for yourself at all, then that's our gift to you. Uh, a hard copy is useful. I know you have it on your phone, but a hard copy is good. So, uh, so that's our gift if you need a Bible. Um, let's read this together. Romans chapter 13, verses 11 through 14. Besides this, you know the time that the hour has come for you to wake from sleep. For salvation is nearer to us now than when we first believed. The night is far gone, the day is at hand. So then let us cast off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us walk properly as in the daytime, not in orgies and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and sensuality, not in quarreling and jealousy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. I'm glad you got up this morning. Glad you're awake. Hope you're awake. If you have a tendency to fall asleep in church, the, uh, this passage might make you feel bad. I probably won't notice. I usually, people come up to me after church and say, I'm so sorry I fell asleep and I didn't notice, but the passage might make you feel bad. But you got up this morning, you roused yourself from sleep, you're probably not wearing the same thing that you slept in, and that's a good thing. You've gotten yourself ready, and this passage is a call for us to look at something as simple as getting out of bed, getting ready for the day, and walking forward in it, and to say, that's what we need in our walk with Christ. We need to say, I am awake, I am alive, God has brought the daytime, there is a little bit of time left before we meet him face to face, and so let's put on the armor of God and let's walk forward in the light of day. That's what we have here. Just to know where we are, this passage is the last passage in a, a section of the book of Romans that runs from chapter 12 into chapter 13 that started out with this word, I appeal to you therefore brothers by the mercies of God to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, and there's a footnote that says it actually is age, do not be conformed to this age but be transformed by the renewal of your mind that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. And he's been through and, and speaking to us here by the power of the Holy Spirit, Paul telling us here are various ways that as a believer in Christ, as somebody who has been saved by this glorious gospel of this glorious Savior that was expounded all the way from chapters 1 through 11, now here's how you should live, brothers, You've already been beloved by God. Now walk forward as a beloved person, having put on Christ, loving one another, serving in the church, using your spiritual gifts, not cursing those who curse you, but instead blessing and forgiving others as, as God in Christ has forgiven us, submitting to the authorities that God has put over us, in, except in such ways as they might tell us to disobey God, that we're not to to disobey the commands of God, but to obey them out of love for our neighbor. And then this brings us to verse 11, where he says, Now walk in the light of day as Christians. He says in verse 11, if you're following along in the back of your bulletin, that might be helpful today, that Christians have been awakened to a new day. 
So verse 11, the beginning of it, has two strange things as far as translating it from Greek to English. It says, besides this, that's one thing, you know the time that the hour has come for you to wake, that's another one, from sleep. All right. Now where it says besides this, different translations say different things. Really, it kind of says and this, and different Different uh, interpreters have different views of what exactly that means. But here's, I think it doesn't really mean besides this. I think it means, I've already said, love your neighbor, do no wrong to your neighbor, and now get this. Taking all that into account, on top of that, listen to this. I think that would be a pretty good translation if anybody could get away with it. And get this. You know the time. And the next, the next thing that's a little weird to translate is where you said, the time has come for you to wake from sleep. Where it says to wake, it's actually a passive verb. It's something that's done to us. And who is it that's doing it to us? Well, it's, it's God. God is the one who's able to wake us. And that's hard to put in the translation, and that's okay. But I think those are helpful things to know, that it's saying, hey, get this. God is the one who wakes you up. And so that affects life from here on out, where he says, uh, he says this, the hour has come for you to wake from sleep. He's saying, it's time. It's time right now. It's almost this, this, get this, the hour is here. What are you waiting for? Have you been waiting around to say, well, I'll follow God eventually? Maybe you, you're somebody who needs to be awakened by Christ. Maybe you're somebody who you're not yet trusting in Jesus Christ. You are still dead in your trespasses and sins in which you're still walking. If that's the case, you need to be made alive today together with Christ. You need to be awakened. And as the time has come, this goes really well with what it says in 2 Corinthians 5, now is the time of salvation. Now is the day. There is absolutely no reason, if you've been sitting around thinking to yourself, maybe at some point, sometime, I will be born again. Maybe God would make you born again right now because He's saying, Now is the time. Be awake. Don't slumber in your death and in your sin any longer. Wake up to Christ. And in fact, this is the, the passage that God used to wake up and save one of the most famous influential pastors of all time, whose name was Augustine of Hippo. I don't know how many of you know anything about Augustine. Some people call him St. Augustine. I like to call him Augustine of Hippo. But he was, he, he was a lost person. His mother was a Christian. Monica was her name. She had prayed for him so earnestly, and he was so deeply lost in sin, so in love, especially with sexual sin. And he was a smart guy. He was into all kinds of philosophy, exploring what is the origin of evil, all kinds of things. But eventually, God just worked on his heart, and he knew that something was going on. And he heard a little child singing a song that said, take up and read, take up and read, take up and read. And you know what he did? He took up, he took up the book of Romans. And he read Romans 13, 11 through 14, 
The hour has come for you to wake from sleep. The salvation is near to us than when we first believed. The night is far gone. The day is at hand. Let us cast off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. And that is what God used in Augustine's life to wake him up, to save him from his slumber of death and sin and to make him alive to Christ. And maybe that would be you today. Maybe that would be you. Maybe you could say, now is the time for me to give my life over in repentance and in faith in Christ and to be saved. The time for me to admit that I was wrong about everything all along. That's a lot of what repentance means. And to embrace Jesus as Lord, Jesus as Savior. And this also, it's not just giving a call to people to be saved. It's also, as I said, it's a, it's a passive verb there. It's God has to be the one who does the waking up. God has to be the one who would wake up. And he's saying to Christians, Christians, you know the time. God has already awakened you from your sleep. God has already saved you from your sleep. And so in that sense, as somebody who has already believed, look at this passage and don't act like you're still sleeping in sin. Don't act like you're still in that old way of life. Wake up. Sometimes on my alarm clock, I hit the snooze button. Anybody else ever do that? Sometimes we have to, we have to do the kind of thing where we, we, we start to try to play tricks on ourselves and fool ourselves so that we'll actually wake up, set two or three alarms, Move your, you know, get, get rid of your phone. Don't, don't sleep with your phone in your room, right? Um, but you move your alarm clock across the room so that you have to get out of bed. And then you fool yourself even then, like, well, but I can just hit the snooze and walk back over here. And, and, and what you're doing when you say that is you're saying, now is not the time to wake from sleep. I know that there's something over there just blinking and screaming at me saying, now is the time to wake from sleep. But no, 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 no. This is comfortable. My covers are warm. The air conditioning is blasting. I'm going to stay here for a little while longer. We have that same temptation when it comes to spiritual things. Where we can say to ourselves, well, the time is going to come eventually where I should walk after Christ. I know that I have these areas of spiritual disciplines where I know that I I need to improve in my daily Bible reading and in my prayer. I know that I need to walk in holiness in this area. I know that I need to confess this sin and get it out of my life. And eventually, I'm pretty sure I'm going to do that. But now's not the time. You know what the Bible says right here? Now is the time. Now is the time. You know the time. The hour has come for you to wake from sleep. And what's the reason for that? For salvation is nearer to us now than when we first believed. Believer, when you first believed, you were saved. God saved you from your sins. That's one of the ways that the Bible talks about salvation. You are already saved. In fact, you can say that that you were God. uh, Jesus saved you at the cross. Right? But that salvation was applied to you when you believe. And the Bible also says that you are still being saved right now. God is taking you from where you were to somewhere else. And the Bible also says that you will be saved one day. 
It says in Titus 2.13 that we are waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. What this passage is saying is today, Sunday, September 3rd, 2023, your salvation is nearer than it was when you first believed. You're one day closer right now to the return of Christ. And even if the return of Christ happens long after your body has gone to sleep in its grave, you're one day closer to that grave as well. You're one day closer today than you were yesterday to meeting God face to face. He's saying here, you don't have as much time in this world as you think you have. The days are numbered. We don't know when God is going to take us home. It says in the Old Testament, teach teach us to number our days that we may get a heart of wisdom, right? He's saying, look, because of that, because the time is at hand, it's coming, you're going to meet Jesus, wake up and walk with Christ. You know what? There's things you need to change in your life. Now's the time. You need to come to Christ. Now's the time. You need to start getting up 30 minutes earlier, literally, to read your Bible every day. Now's the time. Walk in holiness and in light and in the day. He says in verse 12, the night is far gone. The day is at hand. So then let us cast off the works of darkness. He says, here's here's the reason we need to do this. The night is far gone. The day is at hand. You know the time. What's the time that he's talking about? What's the night? What's the day? Well, it goes back to what it said in Romans 12 too, which I said is the beginning of this portion, this section of the book of Romans, where it says, do not be conformed to this world. And the footnote there says, Greek age, which means that's what it actually says. Do not be conformed to this age. Jesus spoke over and over again that there is this age and there is the age to come. There is this age where in this world there is sin and the wheat and the tares are growing together, but then there's the age that's coming when Christ returns and makes all things new. There is this present world and there is the world to come of the new creation and in between there, there is the return of Christ. What he's saying here is, believers, you're already part of the daytime. The night, the present age, it's still here. And the daytime's coming, the age to come is coming. But it says in in 2 Corinthians 5.17, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away, behold, the new has come. So look, just looking back at this verse here, you know the time, the hour has come. Verse 12, the night is far gone, the day is at hand. Here's the, here's the point, guys. If you've come to faith in Jesus Christ, you are already part of the new creation. Yes, we still struggle with sin. Yes, we still have these, we're still living in this world where where we have to get our feet washed by Jesus, even though he's already washed our whole bodies. We were walking around in the muck and the mire, but we're new creations in Christ. And so he's saying, 
Don't live like part of this present age. Live like what God has actually made you when he made you born again. Live as a new creation. Live as part of the day. So based on all of these things, he kind of, if you look in the verse, you guys are looking at your Bibles, I hope. You have your Bible open? I told you to open your Bible at the beginning. I'm just going to ask you, did you do it? Romans 13, if you look in, in verse 11 and then into the first half of verse 12, you may notice that it doesn't, I've kind of brought in some commands and some applications, but it hasn't actually told you what to do yet. He, he said, the time is here, the hour has come, somebody's going to wake you from sleeping, salvation is near, the night is far gone, the day is at hand. But these are all things that are just kind of like statements. Here's what's true, the indicative. But now the second half of verse 12, he moves into, so therefore, because those things are true, now here's what you do. So what we should do is we should live in the light and not in the darkness. If God is your Savior, if he has already declared you righteous in Christ, then live as somebody who is righteous in Christ. If God has already awakened you from your sleep and sin, then live as somebody who is awake to God in Christ. If God has already called you a saint, then live in holiness. And that's where he goes, that Christians are to live in the light, not the darkness, first of all, by casting off the darkness and putting on the light. Look there in the second half of verse 12. So then let us cast off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. He's saying here, get out of your pajamas. He has awakened you. Cast off those works of darkness. If the way you think or the way you speak or the way that you live is pretty similar to the lost world around you, then that's darkness that you need to cast off. Could be that you're thinking of the lost world around you in terms of all, all the extreme sins that are obviously evil. Or you could just be saying to yourself, well, you know, my neighbor's pretty moral. I, I, know, that, I know that he doesn't trust Jesus, but he votes for the right people and his kids seem to have things put together pretty well. And, and my life is a lot like his. Well, then... If your life is a lot like unbelievers, cast off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. Put on the armor of light. What is that armor? When he says armor, you know, I mean, that's, that's almost like warfare language, right? Sometimes when you hear about armor and weapons of our warfare and these kinds of things in the scriptures, sometimes people get really excited because they just love a good fight. And sometimes it's because they love a good fight with people. The Bible tells us when we put on our armor, when we pick up the weapons of our warfare, what we're doing is, is we are not battling against flesh and blood, but against the principalities and powers of the air. The kind of armor that we're to put on is, is described in 1 Thessalonians 5.8. It says, since we belong to the day, let us be sober, having put on the breastplate of faith and love, and for a helmet, the hope of salvation. You know, those, those three great things that remain, faith, hope, and love? 
Those are also armor, armor of light. Those are also things that God has given to every Christian. There's multiple prayers in the New Testament where where we're given the example of Paul praying prayers of thanksgiving for believers, that God has given these believers faith and hope and love. God has already given you everything, believer. He's not asking you to fashion new armor of of light for yourself. He's not asking you to come up with something new. He's saying, I have already given you what you need in Christ, and so put it on. I've already clothed you with the righteousness of Christ, and so put it on. I've already given you faith and love and hope, and so put it on. Or for the most famous place in the Bible that speaks about the armor of God is Ephesians 6. And it says that we have the belt of truth, that we have the breastplate of righteousness, that we have the shoes of the readiness of the gospel of peace, that we have the shield of faith, that we have the helmet of salvation, we have the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, and that we're to pray at all times in the Spirit. Guys, you say to yourself, I can't remember that whole list every morning. That's okay. The point here is, don't walk in the darkness. Walk in the light. And each day, say, I'm one day closer to meeting Jesus. And so I need to put on the armor of light that he has already given to me. You know why it's called the armor of light? You know why it is the armor of light? It's because we've come to know God. We've come to know God. It says in 1 John 1.5, God is light, in him there is no darkness at all. With God, the glory of God, he is so different than what we're used to in human beings. Even when you, you meet somebody that you say, well, he is a good man. She is a good woman. You also know that in some way or another, eventually, if you're around them long enough, they're going to let you down. They're going to sin, either directly against you or in ways that disappoint you to see. That There could be things hidden away. There could be things in the past that they don't want known. Just a little bit of darkness here and there. God is no darkness. In him there is no darkness at all. 100% light. 100% holiness. 100% goodness. He is glorious. So when it says put on the armor of light, he's saying walk after God. God is light. God is glorious. God has saved you. So walk as somebody who's in that light. That's the next thing it says in verse 13, that we're to walk as in the daytime and not as in the night. He says, let us walk properly as in the daytime. I'll just pause right there and say, what does it mean to walk properly as in the daytime? Well, it means to walk as people who are in the light. Sometimes you hear that term from the Bible, to walk in the light, and and you can just, you know, it sounds like, well, just be a good person. And I I guess kind of, yeah, that's sort of what it means. But this idea of light... it's that things are out in the open, you know, behaving in such a way that you don't mind being seen. And you, we know this. We know that people's behavior changes in the darkness as opposed to the light, right? We know that people don't behave in the same way largely on Monday at 8 a.m. as they do on Saturday at 2 a.m., right? Some of those same people who are doing terrible things, 
grossly immoral things on Saturday night. On Monday morning, they're, they're wearing suits and they're conducting important business in the office with high-powered clients. That, that daytime makes a difference. If you're going to walk around a bad neighborhood, would you rather do it in the middle of the night or in the middle of the day? You'd rather do it in the day because when the cover of darkness comes and people can hide, things start to happen that shouldn't happen. And that's why he's saying walk as in the day. We need to walk as Christians, as people who don't mind what we do being known. Now that doesn't mean that you have to be willing to let everybody watch you do everything that you do. But it does mean that we ought not to be ashamed. If there are things in our lives that we're ashamed of, that this is saying right here, get that out of your life. Get those hidden, shameful things out of your life now, immediately. The hour has come to get those out of your life and to walk in the daytime. First John, or excuse me, John, John 3.19 says this. I'll just preface this by saying, This is what Jesus says is the reason why people don't come to faith in Christ. People give all kinds of reasons why they don't want to come to faith in Christ. Sometimes they'll say, well, it's because all the Christians in the churches are hypocrites. Okay, that's a pretty broad statement. That's one of those accusations we're going to keep getting hurled at us until Jesus comes back, right? They're going to... They're going to accuse us of evil, but it's important for us not to be hypocrites. But you know why people are saying that? It's not so much because we're just terrible as Christians. It's because they don't want to come to faith in Christ. They want an excuse. Or they may say, well, my excuse is I believe in science. By which they don't actually mean that they believe in science. They mean that they believe in in, uh, godless philosophy that masquerades as science. But the real reason behind it It's because of this. I'll I'll, I'll read you what Jesus says. This is the judgment. The light has come into the world, and people loved the darkness rather than the light because their deeds were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his deeds should be exposed. I say, unbeliever, come to the light. Are your deeds going to be exposed? We have to repent of them. Yes. And it's going to be such a glorious, joyful thing to have your deeds exposed and forgiven. And believer, if you are ashamed that even though you've been forgiven, that you've got things in your life that are hiding in the darkness, bring them back into the light of Jesus. And he will forgive you. And he will cleanse you of all unrighteousness. It says in 1 Thessalonians 5, 5, You are children of light, children of the day. We are not of the night or of the darkness. So then let us not sleep as others do, but let us keep awake and be sober. For those who sleep, sleep at night. And those who get drunk are drunk at night. But since we belong to the day, let us be sober, having put on the breastplate of faith and love and for a helmet, the hope of salvation. Now, what is the darkness, the deeds of darkness that we're to cast off? He's going to lay it out in what some people call a mini vice list. 
If you've read through your New Testament before, you know that you come across these little lists of sins sometimes. They're called vice lists. Sometimes they're a lot longer than this one. This one's a little shorter, and it just has six words in it. And those words are given in three pairs. It seemed to be kind of paired together to express certain kinds of behavior. So we're not going to go through and talk about every possible sin that everybody needs to repent of. We're going to talk about these ones that Paul brings out here in these three pairs. Here's some works to cast off, not in sexual immorality and sensuality. Or excuse me, that's the second one. Here we go. Not in orgies and drunkenness. Now, those are words that are uh, could be translated some different ways. And, and putting those together... People who are a lot smarter than me say that when you put those two Greek words together that are translated in this way, that what, what you get are getting at here is the sense of carousing. Or as, as you might have heard it called in our culture in our day, partying. All right? This is the party culture. This is where you're going to say we're, we're going to let the, 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 the alcohol and maybe other substances flow so, so that we're not too inhibited, and in casting off our inhibitions, we're just going to let ourselves go and have a good time, and we'll see what happens. And it leads into all kinds of immorality, and that's what this is getting at here. When it says orgies and drunkenness, is this kind of partying sort of stuff that leads you way down the, the path of the flesh. Now, where so much of this starts, as it's pointing out here, is with drunkenness. Now, guys, drunkenness is a big deal. Drunkenness is something that we absolutely, as Christians, cannot let ourselves go into. Robert Haldane, I I find I quote him almost every week because he wrote the best commentary on Romans ever, in my opinion, but he said, no other evil has so great a share in bringing ruin on individuals and families as drunkenness does. Every approach unto it ought to be most carefully avoided, Too much caution cannot be used to guard against the formation of habits of intemperance. Now, we may be talking not just about alcohol, but about drugs, whether legal or illegal, all kinds of things that would would just give somebody the opportunity to throw off sobriety, to let themselves go. Don't go toward that. i got to say, when it says drunkenness here, a lot of you guys know that personally I abstain completely from alcohol. I don't let myself near the stuff. I don't lay that burden on everybody, but it's what I choose because I don't trust myself. You you can call me weak. You you can let the guys who who do Reformed Theology podcasts while they're, they're drinking whiskey together, you can let them laugh at me, that's fine. But I just really don't think that my flesh is strong enough to handle it. Like I say, I'm not going to lay that burden on everybody. When we get to to chapter 14 coming up very soon, we're going to see that we can't lay that burden on everybody, but we do need to be careful. We do need to know that things like this can so easily lead us into the works of darkness that we need to cast off and walk in the light. The next thing he says that we need to cast off is sexual immorality and sensuality. What's that talking about? It's talking about all of those kinds of fleshly desires that are addressed in the seventh commandment, you shall not commit adultery, all of those ways that we're tempted to take God's beautiful, good gift 
for human sexuality as he gave it in marriage and to do other stuff with it. And he's saying that stuff that we absolutely have to run from, to cast off, if anything like that is hidden away in the dark corners of your life, today is the day to walk in the light. Repent, be cleansed, don't go on in that stupor of darkness. Now, the world around you, doesn't matter what setting you have in your daily life, you're going to be in this world in one way or another, and you're going to get the message from the world that you just need to be who you are, embrace who you are on the inside, and love is love, and follow your heart, and all those people who've told you that you, you, you can't give in to your desires, well, they're just, they don't want what's best for you. They're denying the way that your body was made, all this kind of stuff. And you know what God says? Put to death what is earthly in you. That's what God says. There's going to be false teachers who come along. The Bible warns about this. They were around even in the time of the New Testament who say, don't worry about those rules. Don't, don't worry about all of that stuff where, you know, that preacher that you grew up with, he was telling you that you, you can't give in to these desires of your body. That's just cruel. You've been spiritually abused your whole life. Come follow me and I'll tell you how you can have real freedom. How you can give in to the desires of your flesh. And the Bible instead says that is the work of darkness. Cast that off, that sexual immorality and sensuality, and walk in the daytime. And then the the third set of words that he gives here of the works of darkness is not in quarreling and jealousy. Quarreling and jealousy. Put those words together, and it means something like jealous strife. This thing where you might kind of view the people around you and maybe even your fellow church members as competitors. You're always always looking for a fight, not just against Satan and his demons and the temptations against your flesh, but looking for a fight with another person. And he says, put that off. Now those other things that came before, the orgies and drunkenness, sexual immorality and sensuality, those, those are really easy things for us to point to as Christians and say, obviously, that needs to be out of our lives. When you come to quarreling and jealousy, this kind of jealous strife, Unfortunately, some Christians seem to think that this is their spiritual gift. Don't don't necessarily recognize that this is a work of darkness that they're walking in. Think that they are just truth tellers and that the reason why they constantly have conflicts with other people is just because they're so faithful to Christ. It's probably not the case. I'll just give you a hint. If you're constantly upset, if you if you constantly have people upset with you, because of the way that you're talking about the things of the Lord, or maybe other things, people constantly upset with you because you're just telling the truth, just telling it like it is. You're probably not speaking the truth in love. Work on the love. Work on the love. Put away the jealousy and the quarreling. This is one of the reasons, by the way, why the Bible says in 1 Timothy 3.7, that one of the qualifications, if someone would be a shepherd of God's church, if they would be an elder of the church, is that they must be well thought of by outsiders. It's because we can't walk about in quarreling and jealousy. Jesus says this, but kind of putting together all of these things, these works of darkness and these things that would distract us away and be just this worldliness. 
Jesus said in Luke 21, 34, watch yourselves lest your hearts be weighed down with dissipation and drunkenness and cares of this life and that that day come upon you suddenly like a trap. For it will come upon all who dwell on the face of the whole earth. But stay awake at all times, praying that you may have strength to escape all these things that are going to take place and to stand before the Son of Man. Stay awake. Jesus is coming. Your salvation is nearer now than it was before. And then finally, it says in this verse at the end of chapter 13, and make no provision, or excuse me, verse 14, put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. What does put on, put on the Lord Jesus Christ means? It means walk as a Christian. Be a Christian. God, a Christian, believer in Christ, God has already put Jesus Christ on you. He's already clothed you with Christ. He's already declared you to be united to Christ, to be in Christ. When he looks at you, he sees his son and he loves you. Praise God for that, Christian. And so put on the Lord Jesus Christ. It's one of those great tensions. You're already wearing the righteousness of Christ in God's sight but you also still need to be clothed in Christ. You need to put on Christ. The, that term Christians, you, you may or may not know or remember from the book of Acts that it started in the city of Antioch. The, the word Christian was a derogatory term. People were making fun of the, the believers in Jesus by calling them little Christs, laughing at them. But you know what? The, the Bible embraces that. Those Christians embraced that, said, wow, what a privilege to be called little Christs, to put on Christ, to reflect Christ in where we go. Put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. Make no provision for that old self, Make no provision for what Romans 7 called this body of death where we still feel sin tugging at us. Make no provision for that. Guys, if you have something in your life, a sin that just seems to keep coming back, stop making provision for it. Gouge out the eye, cut off the hand, take the measures that it takes in order to no longer have the door open for that sin. When you say, okay, today is the day. The hour has come for me to wake from sleep. I need to get the darkness out of my life. I'm going to go into the closet of my heart and my life, and I'm going to clean this out. Don't get to that box in the corner and say, but I'll just leave that there. I won't open it. Make no provision for the flesh. You know, we prayed earlier from the Lord's Prayer where it said, lead us not into temptation. If we're going to pray that God would not lead us into temptation, we have to recognize the doors to temptation that we have walked through before and nail them shut and tell people that they're there and say, I'm not going to do this. I am going to make no provision for that in my life ever again. Put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh. 
Galatians 5 says this. If we're talking about the flesh, we're talking about how we need to walk in the light, this is a very important passage. It says, the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit, here's some walking in light. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law, and those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Those of you who are still lost in the flesh, you're not trusting in Christ, you need to know that trying to get better is never going to accomplish anything. Trying to be a better person is never going to accomplish anything. If you come away from this passage of Scripture and the way that I've preached it to you today, and you say to yourself, okay, I'm convicted that I don't need to do my bad things anymore. I'm going to start doing good things. And your faith is not in Christ. You know what you're trying to do? You are trying to save yourself from the works of the flesh by your flesh. And it's never going to work. And you're going to be lost in darkness. Take those things, lay them at the foot of the cross, be awakened to new life in Jesus Christ. Receive the forgiveness of your sins that only Jesus can give you. Let him make you new. And those of us who are these new creatures in Christ, let's live as new creatures in Christ, not hiding things away in the darkness anymore. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the way that you have awakened us who believe to Christ. Lord, we were dead in our trespasses and sins in which we once walked, but you've now made us alive in Christ. Help us by your grace to walk as those who are in the light, who are alive in Jesus Christ. Thank you for clothing us with, us with his righteousness, not because of anything we've done, but, but by faith and by what he's done. And Lord, I pray that you now help us to walk in that righteousness. Father, I pray that if those if there are those who are here who are in the situation that Augustine was in when he first picked up this passage and needed to be awakened to be saved, I pray that you do that for them even right now. And let us know, let us rejoice in that as they would, would tell and confess their faith in Jesus Christ. It's in his name we pray. Amen.